Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 22, the 22nd Psalm. As you know, we are working through this Psalm. I will be doing what I did last week, is I will have this lesson, and I'm going to continue it in the next service. And the reason I do that will be because of the nature of what we're going to be looking at. I just kind of want to introduce this first and then actually get into the verse probably next hour. So uh, I know most of us here may know what I'm going to be talking about and dealing with, but uh, it won't hurt us to be refreshed in these things. And as well, for those perhaps who've never heard it, this might be helpful to them. So let's begin Psalm 22. I would like to just read verse 9, and uh, we'll pick up with the context here in a little bit, either probably next hour. So Psalm 22, beginning there in verse 9. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. From the scriptures and from our own Christian experience, as we are believers in the Lord Jesus, we learn that we, as we meditate and as we reflect and we think about God's providence or his continual watch care over us, that that has the effect of strengthening us and encouraging us. In other words, as we might be going through some trial, and especially as we'll be seeing this in the next hour in Psalm 77, when we have those days or those seasons in our lives when things aren't quite what we would like them to be, and there's hardships or there's disappointments or there's uh, some great adversity upon our lives, we ought to reflect back how that God has been very merciful to us in the past. And then God uses that then as a means to stir us up and to uh, continue on and to persevere. So it's used sometimes to strengthen and to bolster our faith. And as we reflect over these things, it becomes helpful to face those bitter afflictions which might be coming towards us or that we might even be going through or that we perhaps will be going through. The Christian, as he reads his Bible, uh, realizes that from the time that he is born until death, that all of our lives are in the very hands of God. Certainly, not one thing happens in the life of in fact, anyone, but especially a believer that isn't without the predestinating hand of God Almighty. For instance, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and verse 11, we read this. In whom, <coughs> this would be the Christ is the whom, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So such is such then as believers that we have these assurances that of God's watchful care over us. And things happen, things that do, those things that do happen to us, they come upon our lives or they come in our lives. The Lord is guiding all of those events that transpire. No matter what comes in view into your life, God is in control of it. God is working those things in and around us. That's why we read in the things there that Paul said, that who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So the Lord then is a guiding all of our events, no matter what they may be, no matter how large they are, or even how small or minute they may be, the things that come to pass. 
And that's why, for instance, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we have that very famous verse that's very comforting to us. Did you hear it quoted a lot or sometimes misquoted? But nonetheless, we hear it a lot. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, Paul just got through saying there that all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are the call, those who are God's people. Everything that transpires in the life of a believer is meant then for his good. That would include the hardships, that would include the trials, that would include the chastisements or the punishments that we may have for sin. That would even include the good times. All of those things are for our good. And we could take that a step further. It's also for God's glory. So we have our good and God's glory that is in view. So the all things that Paul speaks of there in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 are the all things that come upon our lives. Now, at this point in my introduction, we're going to review for a moment the teaching of Scripture, which is known as the providence of God. So I don't know if you've ever heard that word or thought of that kind of a thing, but uh, the idea that there is a thing that goes on in this life that is known as the providence of the Lord. And it's defined by what we were just speaking about, that God is in control of all things, that God works these things out, and for the believer, those things are worked out for our good. And his care over us is part of that thing that we call divine providence. It's part of that thing that we read just a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. That phrase, who worketh all things, is basically the essence then of God's providence. What this means is that God has a plan, and he planned everything before eternity. And, uh, and then what takes place in time after that point then becomes what we think of then as his providence. That's the working out of all things of his counsel. Now, the Oxford English Dictionary defines providence in this way. In fact, they define it in a biblical sense. And one of the things is they say that it's the foreknowing and the beneficent care and government of God. And then they go on to say divine direction, control, or guidance. And that's exactly, again, what divine providence is. God created all things, and as creator of all things, then, he governs it, or he controls it. Everything is controlled under God. It doesn't matter whether, as I said, it's the big things or the little things. God is in control of it. And you hear people say that a lot. And I have no idea if they really know what they're saying when they say it. But biblically, that is absolutely the truth. God controls all things. Because, after all, he's God. And he's the creator of all things. He's the first cause of all things. Now, just how God does all of this is kind of a mystery, of course, to us. But again, the scriptures teach it. The scriptures verify the very things that I'm saying. And as 
the Bible does teach it then, a true Christian will acknowledge it. In other words, he will say, yes, that is true. God has created all things and God then controls all things. And when it comes to my life, the same is so. From birth until death, God is in control of all those things. And as I said earlier, this is a great encouragement to the believer because we know that God is all wise, he's all sovereign, and he's good. And we also know, once again, that everything that takes place, he's meant it for our good. And again, sometimes that too is hard to comprehend, even as Christians, but nonetheless, it is absolutely true. All events, including our lives, are then are under what we call divine providence. Now, I want us to think a moment about this again. Uh, in our confession, and this is on chapter 5. Now, most of you know here, when I quote somebody or something outside of the scripture, you know that I'm never using that as a proof. I use it simply as a illustration or an illustration of what I'm saying. So this morning, as I turn to the confession, I don't want you to think, oh, that's, that's the truth there. Well, it is the truth, but it's not the truth because necessarily it says it, but because that's what the Bible teaches. I'm only illustrating it by what I'm saying here, what this confession says. And this is how they define it. And they give you here seven paragraphs to work through. Some of you this morning who are, I hope, have read this or are reading through the confession as you're hoping to be members here someday. This is one of the things that you should have read. You'd have been reading about of divine providence, as it's called there. Listen to the first paragraph. I won't read the rest of them, but this is the first one, and I'll just review the rest of them as an illustration, again, of what I'm talking about. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence to the end for the which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable that means unchangeable his immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom power justice infinite goodness and mercy so we see in that paragraph the the the, the divine providence then is defined for us and it speaks again there of God creating all things. And that creator is a good God. He's not a God who, who's uh, not good. He's good and holy in all that he says, all that he does. And thus then, his creation that is an extension of that in that sense. He created this world and now, of course, he governs it. And then the next paragraph, actually paragraphs two and three, it speaks about there the relationship between God's decree, that is, his original plan, which is only one, but his original plan, when he planned how he wanted this thing to go, he, they speak of that with, along with the means by which that's carried out. In other words, God has ordained all that takes place, but he's also ordained the means of those things taking place. For instance, let's just give you a, a very simple simple illustration of what I mean by the plan or the decree 
and the means of carrying it out. This morning, you woke up and you purposed in your mind, I'm going to go to church today. Well, when you purposed that, you, didn't just, you just didn't automatically show up here, did you? You go, ah, I want to be here. Boom, you were here. That didn't happen, did it? Well, what was, how did you get here? Well, some of you drove. Some of you were driven by someone else. But you arrived here most likely by car or truck. If you were walking, that would be another story as well. But you see, the plan was you were coming to church. The means of getting you here then was getting in your automobile, driving here, or having yourself driven here, getting out and coming in to where we're meeting at this very moment. You see what I mean there? That's the plan. I'm coming to church. I'm going to be there. And the means is me getting there by the vehicle in which we were in. That's what we mean here by the decree being made and the means by which that decree or those things of the decree is carried out. The fourth paragraph relates then something of the power, the wisdom, and the goodness of God in all of that. As God is all good and he's all wise and he's perfect and holy in all of his works, then what he, what he plans and the means by which he gets this accomplished is from a God who is holy, who is wise, and who is good. <clears throat> the fifth paragraph speaks about that how that God deals with his children in providence, even to speaking of the temptations and the corruptions of our hearts. In other words, all that too, that is the sins that I commit, those things that I've done in the past and or do, will do in the future, and all the things that I perhaps will be tempted with and you tempted with, all of that too is encompassed in the decree or the providence of God as well. So that's not left out. When we thought we were preaching, what was it, about two years ago, a year ago, I don't know where it was now, Psalm 51 about David committing that terrible sins or sins with you know, having uh, Bathsheba's husband murdered and him committing adultery with her. You know, all of that, as terrible and as wicked as it was, was part of God's decree. It was part of his plan. And it happened in his providence. And God was in control of every bit of that as well. So all of those things as well are taken into consideration and what we're talking about here this morning. And then the last paragraph, it speaks about, or it's next to the last paragraph, paragraph six, that God is just in his dealing with wicked men. So you think, oh, okay, God, is, God has set everything into motion. Well, what about those people who are wicked and they, they never come to Christ, they never believe on him? Is that part of his plan as well? Absolutely, it is. Nothing takes place without God. Nothing, absolutely nothing. So they speak about that as well. And it's interesting. You ought to read that paragraph. It's not what most people think. And then numbers the seventh paragraph, well, he speaks here that it extends to all people, of course. Everybody is part of this divine plan of God. Lost people and saved people. But their last point there is, he's, they're making it out to be that it's speaking especially, is it useful to God's people. There, and they call that, there is a special providence regarding the people 
of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting chapter. You ought to read it. Take the time to do so. And then look at the verses or the proof texts that are found there. They're excellent. The whole paragraph, uh, I mean, the whole chapter itself is very, very good. And so then as we think about this doctrine, and I know you're thinking, what has this got to do with Psalm 22 and verse 9? And I hope to show you that here pretty soon because it does. This whole thing that I'm talking about, about divine providence, plays in what we're going to be looking at there in verse 9 of this psalm. So then, one other thing I want to get a pass here, uh, across here is that divine providence, or God in control and governing everything, encompasses everything, no matter what it is, to the smallest event, to the biggest event. And that includes our lives as well. Now, that includes, for instance, where we were born. I was born in Bruton, Alabama. And wherever you may be born, my wife was born in Topeka, Kansas. <coughs> my children, except for one, were born in Topeka. One was born in Tuscumbia, Alabama. And you could say the same about your wherever you were from, wherever city, state, country, whatever it may be, where you were born, that was in, that's all part of God's plan and decree. When we think about what family we landed in, so to speak, that too is of God. I was born into the Langley family. That wasn't by accident. That was something of God's decree and his providence working it out. Where we live now. Your very home in which you dwell today. Or that you may dwell in five years from now. Is part of this thing we call divine providence. It's no accident. You see, it's everything. Everything. Paul declares in Acts 17... In him, we live and move and have our being. In God, you see. He says this in, in that same sermon there on, uh, uh, in Acts 17. He says, It hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of of their habitation. Now, what did he just say there? He says, God has determined before time where you're going to live, how far you will wander from that place, for that matter, and the when of it. I was born April 3rd, 1957. That was no accident. That was in the decree and purpose and carried out in the divine providence of God. So it's everything that we may think about. Because in him, we live and move and have our being. And God then is the source of our life and of our breath. And how long we shall live and when we will die. You know, all of that, the time of my birth and the time of my death is set. It's set in stone, as we would say. 
I wasn't going to be born any sooner than I was determined to do so by God. And I will not die one day earlier or one day later than what God has purposed in my life. And the same could be said for you. You see, he's appointed all of those things and all those things then are carried out in that divine providence in which we're speaking of. He has, as it were, marked us all out, each and every one of us. But especially, though, is the Christian. You're not just some afterthought with God. From the very beginning, you have been upon his mind. You have been in his head, as we would say. You've been a part of who he is in the sense that he has thought of you from all eternity. And you hear this flippant stage so often or saying so often, you know, God has a plan for your life. Well, the point is you don't know what that plan is unless it's revealed in Scripture. But everybody makes it out that they know things like that. Someone's got this secret you know, pathway to God that other people don't have, you know. But, but in reality, though, thinking of it in the light of which we're saying today, he does have a plan. And it's going to go according to that plan. And that's true of all people. But again, we're holding it down now to the believer, to someone who is a Christian this morning. He has a special providence or care over us. Let's turn, if you want to anyway, to Luke chapter 12. And this is illustrated because this is the truth. This is not using it like I said earlier. But this is illustrated in this. The sayings of our Lord at this point. In Luke 12, beginning there in verse 1. It's kind of a long context, but I want to be able to pick it up. Luke chapter 12. Yes, that's the one. He says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do. But I forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now this is the point that he's going to make here towards his people. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? And of course the answer is, that's true. Yeah, he, there's, they're sold for that amount. And God takes notice of it. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. So the point here is he knows all about us, doesn't he? And if he knows the birds, they're just so, you know, sparrow. You can even shoot sparrows. They're, they're not an endangered species. That's because there's so many of them. 
That's one of the two birds in Kansas you can nail. You could shoot a sparrow. But why? Because they're everywhere. They're all over the place. And that was true in biblical times as well. You never get rid of these guys. God knows every one of them. He knows when they live, where they live. He can even tell you when they're going to be sold and how for how much. Are we not more important to him than sparrows? Of course, the answer is yes. Then he goes on and illustrates it even further. Look, he says, even has your very hairs of your head numbered. Some of you here this morning have a full head of hair. I envy that. You've got a full head of hair. He knows every number of it. So whether you're bushy-headed or you're like me, he knows the number of our hairs. You see, that's an intimate God, isn't it, with his people. You see, that's all part, once again, of his divine providence. And that care extends over us from the womb to the grave. Now, again, as I'm a Calvinist, I also know that it goes far before that as well. As I said earlier, we, he's had us in his mind forever. But I'm not going to that point. I'm speaking of it just from the, uh, the cradle to the grave. All of that is an attendance of God. And all of this is very, very encouraging and comforting to the believer who thinks about this stuff and meditates upon it. How that God has dealt with us and deals with us in our lives. And amazingly, this also includes the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. From the cradle to the grave. All of that was an attendance by God. He too was the subject of God's providential care over him. Sometimes we don't think like that, do we? But we think, well, he's, he, did it, he does it for me. But he also did it for his son. When Jesus came into the world, and again, we could talk about what it was like before that, but that's again not the point. When he came into this world, God had his providential care upon him. From, as I said, from the womb to the grave. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. It didn't just happen that Jesus was born in the particular time and season in which he was. That was an event that was preordained and carried out in God's providence as we see it in Scripture. The very events of Psalm 22, at least the first, all of it really, but what we've been talking about, which of course covers the sufferings of Jesus Christ, all of that was part and parcel of his plan. God purposed that Jesus Christ would suffer 
upon the cross there at Calvary. As you know, I've often quoted these two verses or passages to prove that point, and I'm going to do so again this morning because it certainly fits what we're talking about. This is Peter on the day of Pentecost, and he's speaking here to these Jerusalem sinners. And he says to them, Him, that is Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The greatest event, perhaps, that's ever taken place, other than maybe perhaps the resurrection, but the greatest event that took place was the death of Christ. He says that was part of his determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And then Acts 4, he says something like that again, speaking about how that the enemies of Christ were gathered against him, whether they were in power or just the regular people, the religious people, the governmental people, all of those, the people of Israel were gathered together, he says, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. It was no accident he was hanging on the cross. It was no accident that they took him there in the garden and brought him forth before Pilate and Herod and all those men that he stood before. It was no accident. That was the predetermined counsel of God. Not only was it the predetermined counsel of God, as far as decreed is discerned, but it was also prophesied in the scripture. We see that again in Psalm 22, do we not? But listen to Luke chapter 24 and verse 26. This is uh, when Jesus has resurrected and he's appearing before some of his disciples. Here, some of them were on the road to Emmaus. We read there in Psalm, uh, Luke 24 and verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So not only did God decree it, he also put it in scripture that it was going to take place. And then for verse 44, same chapter. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened he their understanding, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So you see, it had to happen. It had to happen because of the decree, and it had to happen because it was foretold even in the scriptures. Now this brings us back now to Psalm 22. Beginning there in verse 1, we hear the cry of the Lord about being forsaken of God because he's bearing the sins of his people. All of that was in the decree and in the providence of God. God in control of it. God being in care of all of this. Now, look at verse 9. And this is where we'll have to stop here. But notice what he says, Psalm 22 and verse 9. But thou art he 
that took me out of the womb. Now that's Jesus speaking there. He says it was God who took him out of the womb. Now, there are several things that we're going to observe from this passage. But I'll have to wait to the next hour. So keep all of what I've just got through saying in mind because it is very pertinent to what we're going to be looking at in this next hour. So we'll stop there and uh, trust that God will bless that.